This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to Better Late Than Never, a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide if it was better late, like they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by my friend Josh, and we're going to be discussing a movie that he's never seen before, Avatar from 2009. Josh, welcome back to the program. Hey, it's good to be back uh, for a second a second viewing. Yeah. Well, this should probably be a more um, uplifting film than Seven. At least, I mean, I, I don't know much about it, but uh, I, I've, done some ba- I've done a tiny bit of background research on it. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. I have a question for you, Josh. Why Avatar? Avatar. Why'd you pick this movie? Okay. Yeah, I specifically asked... Okay, I suggested Avatar. That's correct. Because it's on HBO. And it's been a movie I've never seen. Um, and I've never seen it because when it came out... Is it really 2009? I mean, I know... Yeah. It's that nearly 10 years. Yeah. So that means next year we're going to have to rev up for the fucking 10th anniversary bullshit re-release of it or whatever. Is that going to bother you? Yes. I do not care for this movie, and I haven't seen it. I think this is a fucking garbage movie, and I've thought that from the second the second I read about it. Okay. Why? Primarily this, because this is a, a, a movie. So I actually like to say film, but I'm not putting this in the film category. Ouch. Because James Cameron, this this was a script that he had apparently wanted to make for a number of years. And oh, yeah. he did not think that, quote, the technology to realize his artistic vision existed. Which the <laughs> fucking conceited piece of shit mentality behind that. That you have an artistic vision for a movie that is so advanced, nothing in technology can master that uh, vision for you. Well, yeah, dude, Jurassic Park is a thing, and it's great. And, you know, special effects have been done for years effectively. The Thing, there's entire movie franchises like Planet of the Apes that get by on rubber masks. So to say that 3D digital technology is the only reason you are ready to produce this movie is complete and utter horseshit. And starting from there, everything that came out about this movie upset me more and more. That's essentially the plot of Fern Gully. It's literally like the fern, the story of Fern Gully. And the more I've heard about this movie, the more put off I have been by it. That coupled with the fact that it was a huge success made this on not only a movie I did not want to see, but that I actively went out of my way 
not to watch and have avoided in my life to this point. And the only reason I'm watching it is because you have this podcast and I can be recorded talking about what I assume is my disgust of it when it's all said and done. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm we this is for me a pure hate watch situation and I imagine that this movie is going to underwhelm the fuck out of me because it sounds like everything I've heard about it is that the only reason to watch it are the visuals, that the story is garbage because it is Fern Gully but not as good and with no rapping Robin Williams. And that's that's to the detriment of the film that there's no rapping Robin Williams. First of all, Robin Williams made a serious uh, like side hustle in the '90s, being an animated sidekick, not just for Disney movies, but but for Ferngully. I want to be a hundred percent clear that I love Robin Williams, and I am not talking crap about Robin Williams. I think he's terrific. I am just not particularly a fan of the rapping Robin Williams subcategory of characters that he's done. So well, let me just be clear about that first of all you have to put it in context have you seen fern you have you not seen fern gully i've absolutely seen fern gully okay so he's batty he's voicing a bat and batty has been tested experimented on by humans so he's yeah he's, he's got the little antennas that spark yes he's quite erratic and during one of his more erratic periods he raps and it's amazing and then I think he also does a lot of exposition in the rap that is crucial to the... Uh, or does he explain all about Hexus or something like that? No, he explains about unobtainium. <laughs> I cannot believe that. That's one thing that this movie is infamous for. I guess I'm getting ahead because you're going to ask me for thoughts I have about this stupid movie. Well, I don't have to ask you if you're just like laying it out like this. Fucking unobtainium. Fucking unobtainium. Can we talk about this? That some... So James Cameron, obviously already a huge success uh, due to Titanic. I mean, he's he's made movie studios more money. What well, Titanic was the most successful film of all time. Yeah, yeah ever. It just, I mean, that's insane. He made other successful films besides Titanic as well. Uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. As well as its prequel, Terminator, Terminator 1. Terminator 1. Well, Judgment Day is the better of the two, but the first Terminator's, you know, certainly a good movie. Agreed. But. Um, visually, see that's the thing. This is the guy that made Terminator Two, and it still looks pretty good. It doesn't look awesome today, but this is a guy. Who I said, disagree. I think Terminator Two still looks awesome. Oh, today. good. That, that's a good disagreement because I I, I watched it recently, uh, and you're you don't think about the the effects. But doesn't that sort of undercut your point a little bit? Because this is clearly a guy who puts a lot of thought and effort into those visual effects. And that thought and effort clearly pays off as Terminator 2 and other movies he's made shows. I mean, Aliens still looks great, too. And that's an even older movie than Terminator 2. But that's what boggles my... That's why I'm... That's what makes me the most upset. And I think it's because... But he exercised his judgment, didn't think he was ready to make it. And then when he finally felt like it was time, he went and made it. Well, but this is what I... It it has a lot to do with the fact that studios have moved further and further away from practical effects. Which I think has been to uh, cinema's detriment, unfortunately. I think there have been some some very successful... There are some very successful visual effects created digitally. I think Lord of the Rings is one of one of those. Uh, actually, Peter Jackson's King Kong uh, is pretty terrific. Skull Island is another one. Um, so I don't think there's not a place in the conversation for digital effects. At the same time... You have entire warehouses of practical effects artists being shut down 
because there's not a demand for them. But it's not like they're not capable of doing this work. It's just that digital effects are cheaper. They cost less money. They're less time intensive. And the result... I don't. I would argue the result is questionable. I think a lot. I think then you have a series of nerds out there in the universe that argue against it in in instances of like the Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones, where it, it doesn't look good, and you'd rather have the more gritty real thing. And I and so I think that's what's so bothersome about this is that James Cameron is finally, you know, he's as a person who has his thumb on the industry, on the pulse of the industry. Ten years ago, he said no digital. And that is upsetting to me because he could have done this movie with practical effects. Well, can I interrupt you for a second? Hey, it's your podcast, buddy. Part of it wasn't just that he wanted to use digital effects, but part of it was his interest in shooting a movie in 3D. And, um, you know, he had to actually invent a new kind of camera to make this movie. Which is something I, I've never been into the 3D movie. I've honestly never seen a movie in IMAX. So, You've never seen an IMAX film? No, I've never. Huh. <laughs> I guess that's a rarity now. It's never occurred to me. I don't guess. I guess I, I've never done. Have I seen anything in 3D? I don't think I have. And so 3D movies, I don't quite get the understand what the payoff is. Well, unfortunately, Josh, that's going to continue to be the case. I should probably throw it now. We are going to be watching this movie in 2D. So you're not going to be getting the full and complete Avatar experience what? here. I brought glasses. What? Oh, you have the, the 3D glasses yeah. with the red and the blue? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, then never mind. This is going to work perfectly. I have now. them from a Ghostbusters comic book uh, in the in the in uh, that I read was in 1992. And Actually, if you want to abandon this idea, I have a DVD of Jaws 3D that we could watch. Oh, yes. Okay. Is, you that, watch the one, that? is that the one with Michael Caine? Uh, no, that is Jaws 4, The Revenge. So, wait. Jaws 3 is Jaws 3. Is that all- is the one with um oh my god, the guy who's in it um the one the guy from a uh, day after tomorrow what's his name Dennis Quaid yeah isn't Dennis Quaid in that but here's my question is Jaws 3D the third Jaws movie or- yes <laughs> How- I I wonder <laughs> I I don't know for sure but that might be the that- first film to make that pun and is that isn't Jaws Jaws is not James Cameron it's Spielberg right well the first one yeah yeah so I was gonna joking I was ho- kind of hoping that James Cameron directed Jaws 3D that would have been well you know what James Cameron did direct was Piranha 2 no way yes no yeah wait was it Piranha 1 or Piranha 2 wait I pr- think it was Piranha 2 Piranha 3D, like Piranha, the one with Adam Scott? No, no, those are remakes. I'm talking about the originals. Hold on, I have to... I I actually kind of have now a kind of established history of making claims in part one that I have to walk back in part two. Yeah, why don't you So let me... um, That's fine. Let me get on... On this, I can say this. Yes, Piranha 2 The Spawning, directed by James Cameron. Oh, weird. This is the one where the piranhas breed with flying fish and they develop wings and then can fly and eat people outside the water. Now, do we have that movie available to watch and can we watch it instead of Avatar? (laughs) You're the one who wanted to watch this, Josh. I did not want to do Avatar again. I saw it once, thought it was fine. That was enough for me. But uh, we're going to be watching it for your sake. Well, the problem is I have now that I... So I've I'm unintentionally made myself a cultural Luddite by not seeing this movie and so that is it's on hbo and because you have this podcast i thought it would be a terrific thing to watch 
uh, particularly because the bent of this podcast is not necessarily like this. There are many bad movie podcasts, and that's not your format. Yeah, that's not what this is necessarily about. But in a sense, I am stealing, I'm hijacking your podcast and making that the format because I have a feeling I'm going to have a lot of negative things to say about this movie when all is said and done. Now, I mean, I encourage you to keep an open mind, but also that's fine. I think uh, one thing for me about this podcast is that I'm going to try and... Uh, not overthink it. I just want to watch a movie and talk about it, you know? How many times have we said this podcast in this one-minute run? Not enough times. This podcast. This podcast this can benefit pod- from more of this podcast. This podcast. This podcast is brought to you by this podcast. This damn podcast. Use, <laughs> use promo code this podcast at checkout. I got these pelts and I need to listen to a podcast. Oh my God. All right. Well, I think there's a lot that's going to end up in the trash. <laughs> in the trashy part, part of this the part discussion. One. Well, do you want to take the reins a little bit and walk us through some things? First, sure. Yeah. Um, to get us a little bit back on track, one, I do encourage you to keep an, at least keep something of an open mind about this movie. I'm not going to go to bat for it and say that it's great, but it's not terrible. I was at a, a gathering last night, and when I told people that this was how I was spending my Saturday, many of them said, oh, Avatar, I love that movie. And really? I, yeah, a lot of people think of this movie positively. Yes, that, I mean, in the circles that we run in, it's not terribly well thought of, but... As we will discuss in part two, there is a segment of this, uh, of the culture that thinks extremely highly of this film. Are they tinfoil MAGA hat wearers? I really doubt it, given the themes of the film. Do you think that there is someone in the universe who has a tinfoil hat that they've written at MAGA on? Yeah. Someone who couldn't afford an actual Made in China Trump hat? Yeah, I believe that. Is that too political? Do you not do you try to stay away from politics on this on this podcast? I don't not try to stay away from politics. It's hard because they're constantly being shoved down. It's just the narrative is like something you cannot escape. In fact, it's actually we are not going to have a choice. We will talk about pod, uh, politics in part 2 because that was part of the cultural discussion surrounding this film a little bit. All right, so I think I've gotten a good sense of what you think of this movie going in. I'm more against this movie than pretty much any movie I've ever watched. I have to tell you that this is far and away the strongest someone has felt about a film (laughs) pre-watch that we've done so far. I mean, I've gone in with people not expecting great things, but I've never started the podcast here in part one with someone being so actively hateful on a film. So it's going to be interesting to see where you land in part two. But before we watch, Josh, do you have any predictions about the film? I have written a couple down so far. One is that you think the plot is going to mirror that of Fern Gully, which is a great film, by the way. Also, uh, there is a Christian Slater voices a character. What? Yes. I don't remember that. And he's also an avatar, correct? I know that might have Christian Slater. Who else do you think is in this film? Josh? Sigourney Weaver. Sigourns, yes. Uh, Zoe Saldana. Yeah, I believe this was like a, a career-making role for Zoe Saldana. Um, and good because she's great. And other what cast else? members. Other cast members. I um I know that there's going to be some kind of <laughs> dipshit general type character who is probably played by like. 
Steven Root or Steven uh, Root. I mean, you know. Okay, so a dipshit specifically. There's if gonna you're be going s- Steven Root. There's hey, I don't think Steven Root is a dipshit. No, just that's like that's the kind of character you would pull him into play. It's gonna be like some warmongering general that is clearly driving them in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. and the small ragtag crew of you know U.S. astronauts is gonna have to try to articulate to them why they're mission is misguided probably unsuccessfully and they're probably going to do some serious damage to this unknown uh land in their ever unceasing quest uh to uh obtain unobtainium do they say that in the movie yeah do they, do they wink at the do they do they i bet there's a moment in the movie they were like hey we have this stuff it's really hard to get it's called Unobtainium, and then they turn and look at the camera and wink. All right, well, not to get into spoilers, but they don't do that. I will say, and I was going to save this for part two, and I don't want to put my thumb on the scale, but fuck it. Uh, James Cameron did not invent the term unobtainium. That was something that was kicking around in like sci-fi prior to that. He did, however, come in for some criticism for using it in this film because it's kind of a... It's a cliche, and it's used almost sort of like as a jokey placeholder term, and the fact that he actually used it in this major blockbuster was looked down on by some people, but you you can't shit on him for coming up with the word. But you'd have to think someone with the... I, I guess this always bothers me when someone who has a vast fortune available to them can't be bothered, like just picks the laziest thing... Uh, in that is just around at the time, especially when they're uh, going on about groundbreaking technology. Do you have any more predictions before we get started? Uh, I do predict that a man is going to have sex with an alien. Okay. <laughs> I'm writing that down. Um, do you, um, I mean, that- why do you think the movie is called Avatar? Oh, I do actually know the uh, why it is called Avatar. Because it's based on the beloved children's cartoon show. Wait, what? I'm, I'm making a joke. There was, there a, was a phenomenal cartoon called Avatar The Last Airbender. That, oh, uh, yes. That M. Night Shyamalan famously adapted into a train wreck of a movie. Right, and couldn't be called Avatar because this movie had come out. So, so they called it Avatar The Last Airbender? They or? just called it The Last Airbender. Oh. Honestly, oh. it's for the best that the full name isn't on it because that movie was god-awful. There is a... This is the deal, right? They realize they can go deeper into space by projecting themselves... By basically projecting avatars of themselves. So it's it's a... Uh, it is a literal avatar. You are like they are sitting in sleep uh, chambers, and then they blip up, <laughs> they beep bop boop <laughs> onto a planet millions of light years away. And um, again, this is all in the interest of harvesting unobtainium. Okay, it all comes. All roads lead back to uh, a, 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 an unsourceable material. Right. They could have just called it plutanium. That would have been fine. Plutonium. That's a weird thing. No one's heard that before. Well, you're familiar with the word plutonium, right? Yes. Plutonium's pretty close to plutonium. But this is, unobtainium is not a real thing. 
correct? Yeah, but I mean, if you're actually suggesting specifically the word plutonium, it's people are going to get confused during the movie thinking it's plutonium. But it's not. It's plutonium. Right. Okay. Any more predictions before we go? <laughs> what else? Um, I have a feeling that the good guys are going to win. Okay. Um, I'm sure there will be some kind of a vehicle chase and possibly hang gliding. Possibly hang gliding. All right. Well, I think that's good. This is going to be a real test about whether you can overcome confirmation bias because I've essentially already told myself in my head that this is a bad movie. Well, let's find out. Great. We'll be right back. It happened again. I thought it was behind me, but the dreams came back. I was up all night. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I forgot about it for years, but then I remembered that Avatar, the giant international blockbuster, used the papyrus font as its logo. Avatar, the movie from like nine years ago? Yeah, he just highlighted Avatar, he clicked the drop-down menu, and then he just randomly selected papyrus, like a, like a thoughtless child just wandering by a garden, just yanking leaves along the way. And so now you're worried about the sequels that are coming out? They're making more? He just got away with it. This man, this professional graphic designer, was it laziness? Was it cruelty? You've shown me this before. I don't even think this is literally papyrus. Maybe that was a starting point, but they clearly modified this. But whatever they did, it wasn't enough! And now here I am doing what I vowed to never do again, sitting outside his house. I think about it every time I see papyrus. Okay, where else do you even see this font? Hookah bars, Shakira merch, off-brand teas. My God, are you okay? What happened? Do you remember the Avatar logo? Uh, yeah, it was tribal yet futuristic. Papyrus! You know what you did? I know what you did! And so, eight and a half hours later, we're back. Avatar. That was Avatar, Josh. Wow. So, <laughs> we're going to start with a little bit of background. All right? Great. And this is, as usual, culled from my uh, amazing primary sources. This is all from Wikipedia. And for the first time, I took a little bit off of imdb so this might be a little lower quality than usual in terms of research all right sounds good um so this movie james cameron started writing avatar all the way back in 1994 and he said he based it on every single science fiction book he had ever read in his childhood yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah i think it shows that is pretty much what this movie is this movie 
is very derivative. Every it's like, hey, what if I had a movie for you that was Star Wars and Jurassic Park and it's, Back to the Future? It well, okay, those aren't exactly the films I would have referenced actually as uh inspiration points for this but there's a t-rex call in the beginning of the movie and then the horse analogs their primary call is the velociraptor from, no uh, way is yeah. it the same is it just because it's the same audio person like what is the origin of that or did he direct did he also direct jurassic park i thought that was spielberg it was spielberg although interestingly enough Prior to Spielberg taking over that project, James Cameron was one of the people who was bandied about as the best fit for the adaptation of the book. But he must have walked away from it because the technology just wasn't there for the dinosaurs. You're just not going to let that go, huh? Okay, well, we'll talk about the graphics in this movie Yeah, all right. Later. Well, anyway, uh, in particular, uh, Cameron was uh, thinking about John Carter. I don't know if you've read. Oh, I've seen John Carter. Any good? Oh, wow. I watched John Carter recently, and you're right. It's like the same movie. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, well, he was thinking about the books, but but the but, but the film adaptation is pretty, like, even the design of the Navi is very similar to the design of the alien species in, uh, mm. in, in, in John Carter. And John Carter it's an okay movie. It is very similar. Um, the jungle design on Pandora was taken, uh, at least inspiration came in part from the Disney movie Tarzan. Okay. Uh, other movies that he acknowledged as sharing themes are, um, a couple that I'm not familiar with. There's at play in the fields of the Lord. Haven't seen it. Don't know that one either. The Emerald forest. I don't know that one. Unaware. Princess Mononoke. I have not seen it. Oh, it's a, it's good. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, and that one I see, especially uh, that movie, it, there's a a lot about, well, first of all, there's tiny little forest spirits, which we kind of get with the little, like, floating jellyfish things yeah. floating around, and a general forest spirit similar to uh, the deity Awa a little bit, and, you know, uh, encroaching development, messing and, it up for the ecology. And Fern Gully. Fern Gully, yep. And, um, of course, Dances with Wolves. Yes, very much Dances with Wolves. Yeah, we'll talk about the similarities between those a little bit later, but to continue on with some of the background info here, as you have said several times, James Cameron wanted to start making this movie immediately after Titanic, but he felt that the technology was not there yet. Mm. He decided that it was time and that technology was finally ready, he says, while watching the two towers when he saw Gollum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because, I mean, the motion capture on Gollum is incredible, so, obviously. At several times during the movie, at least twice, I was hating on the motion capture. Uh-huh. And you mentioned Gollum. You said, what about Lord of the Rings? And I... I didn't really have a good way to articulate. Well, I want to make clear the context for that was you were saying that you felt like you had more trouble buying the digital mo-capped uh, Navi people in comparison to seeing them next to the actual human people who were real. And I brought up Gollum as being like, well, that's a mo-cap 
creation who was always standing next to Elijah Wood and Sean Astin, and he looked fine. And yeah, you know, so what's the difference here? But I I believe extra time and effort was put into Gollum's uh, you think creation because my guess is he's one portion of the larger Lord of the Rings movies, so they could put extra time and care into making him... Because they're making just him. And his interactions with... You only had to have, like, three actors on set to work that. You needed Andy Serkis, Elijah Wood, and Sam, whoever played Sam. Sean Astin. Yeah, Rudy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I imagine that they were able to finesse it a lot more to light the the way that... Gollum almost... It seamlessly blends in with them. Um, the 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 graphics, the mocap in Avatar is impressive, and I was definitely higher on it. I at the beginning of the movie, I felt it was jarring. Um, I think the thing about it was the fact that the faces of the avatars for uh, Sam Worthington and Sigourney Weaver resembled them resemble the actors almost too much so you got kind of an uncanny valley thing going on yeah yeah okay and then when the movie turns a corner and it's essentially all motion capture acting performances you by started the, to like it better than i i started to think about it less right. and by the end of the movie i wasn't thinking about it at all mm-hmm. so it may be a byproduct of the expectations I had going in, or it might just genuinely be that they didn't have the the time and the effort to focus on blending in those interactions together as seamlessly. But I think also, as you started to see more of Sam Worthington's avatar character and less of his actual military character, you start to forget that right. you're not, you're not watching, you're watching, you know, you don't compare them in your mind. As yeah. Much. Yeah. Okay. Well, so um, the production design took several years on this, and they did put a lot of work into developing the Navi culture and their language. <laughs> yeah. Um, the studio, which uh, for this movie was Fox, uh, they started getting real nervous about the cost of this film and the feasibility of what Cameron was laying down as his vision. And uh, James Cameron even got to the point where he started shopping it to Disney before Fox finally sacked up and said they were going to pay for the whole thing. I mean, that is legit. I can absolutely see that. I, because I have a background in production, I mean, this was a joke I made. But the every time you're like, James, can we just have one less thing? Can there just not be – can there be – like mech suits and and just helicopters, but not a giant man. No, there has to be a giant, massive bomb ship, and we have to have grenades that throw into go into the engines of it. And the ambition behind this project must have wrecked whatever budget forecasts they made for it. And that the funny thing is, it, maybe it would. Ha- there's potential for it to be really supremely goofy with the real actors portraying these you know the navi i i I can absolutely uh see that being done poorly it has been done poorly i mean dungeon siege is a great example of of that of like i haven't seen that one um and so i'm going on a lot here but i i appreciate that it appears from the final product that he pushed fox for every cent 
and then some. Well, rightly so, though, right? Because, I mean, think about the same thing happening with Titanic. That thing was famously troubled in its production, went way over budget, way over time. The studio was freaking out, and he eventually, rather famously, gave up uh, a lot of his pay and just was going to get paid on, like, points on the package or something like that. But, you know, when he finally delivered, he delivered Titanic, you yeah, know? yeah. So. No, it's absolutely a. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but yeah, I was impressed by the. the it does not seem like if there were compromise uh, compromises during the process, they didn't show up on screen. Hmm. Well, anyway, so you're talking about the budget. Um, the the cost of this movie was kind of disputed. Estimates put it at. 280 to 310 million dollars to produce and an estimated 150 million dollars for marketing mm, that sounds right marketing's kind of a i feel like an underlooked aspect to the budgets of these films you know when people think about what a movie has to make in order to make back its budget they always forget to factor in marketing sure but anyway um uh what's the so what do we talk about next well, next we're going to talk about the direction of the film. Okay. And so let's talk a little bit about James Cameron. Are you a fan? I would have to say yes. Yeah. What have, what movies of his have you seen? I th- I well, we talked about Terminator Two and, and One. Terminator. We talked about Titanic, Aliens, um, aliens. and Piranha Two. Uh, aliens is so good. Yeah, um, it really is. And I'm sure there's a long list of other James Cameron projects that. Uh, I I just don't know. He's not a director that I think about because he seems to make movies very infrequently. It's it's not yeah. it's not one a year. It's one every four to five years, and it's so that he is a marketing package by himself at this point. Yep. Because it's the whole mythos is like, well, James Cameron's decided to do it, so it's got to be a right. big deal. Well, what did you think of the directing in this movie? I really appreciated the art direction. The oh, art yeah. direction gets you know a plus i mean uh, pandora as a location is gorgeous yeah everything about pandora was uh well executed and well uh, thought out too i mean it's not just pretty bioluminescence the ecology of the planet is well designed you know in such a way that things that happen in the film and we'll touch on this later but it, it makes sense i bought everything too with the military I, I laughed at the beginning because they had like a touch panel for the helicopter that they had to like physically push out of the way to see where they were landing and i was like well if it's a touch screen why don't they just like swipe it back to clear or something like that but that was a small i mean well there are a number of logic things but uh, in terms of just direction yeah, I think he got terrific performances out of uh, Zoe Saldana. I think he got uh, really strong performances from everyone. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to uh, what to really point out because it's such a visually uh, aggressive movie. Well. I recall during the film you commented during the final battle sequence how much you liked how clear the battle was and appreciated that it was well directed and well visualized. Yeah. You were enjoying that fight. And I was also commenting on how these battle sequences are always also a a tiny bit... uh, They always have a tendency to to be (laughs) the same structure. So it's like... 
The good guys show up and they win a little bit. But oh no, the bad guys are more better equipped. Well, and- this movie does kind of fall into that. It, it has the beats that you expect. So yeah. the bad guys show up. The good guys surprise them and start winning, but then the bad guys come back, and there's that low moment where you think they've lost when, whoop, the cavalry's here. Yeah, you know? and that is very, actually, just just talking about Lord of the Rings, that that is, like... Very uh, Helm's Deep. Yeah, Helm's Deep is, you know, Helm's Deep, uh, I have far from originated that, but Helm's Deep is is the cavalry is here. It's Tangent. literally cavalry, It's too. literally, but in the book... It's more. What is more important is that Gandalf shows up, and he he brings the he literally brings in a tidal wave of water horses that sweep away the orcs army. Ooh, you are conflating that with an earlier scene. You the water horses happen, and guys, it's gonna get real nerdy for a second. In the books, Frodo has been stabbed with a Morgul blade by the leader of the ring wraiths and is slowly dying or rather he's being turned into a wraith himself okay such as the effect of a morgul blade and the elf glorfindel who is replaced with arwen in the movie grabs him and starts uh, bringing him back to rivendell to get healed by elrond and they're riding and riding the ring wraiths are chasing them and then they arrive at the river and when the ring wraiths try to cross the river the water comes and hits them and prior to it hitting them the the water horses kind of appear that's more of just like a an, a touch just for you know aesthetic effect i feel that's like what you're thinking of. i don't know all right i'll have to get my copy of lord of the rings trust me that's the two towers happened. and reread it and it's fellowship I, where that happens bro no in that yes but but we're talking about helm's deep okay okay sorry so yeah, so I'd say this, you know, I I do think from a direction standpoint, Cameron got the movie he was going for. I am perplexed by so many of the script choices. Like what? Oh my god. Uh I, let me go to my notes here. Oh okay. Let's let's hang yeah, hang that's, back. For I a think sec. that's the segment we want to hit later. We'll get to that. So let's talk about the cast. All right. We're gonna start with our lead. Sam Worthington as Jake Sully. Fine, but it's really should like very replaceable and very yeah. and very like just there delivering the lines like it's his first day. I don't know. Harsh. I'm sorry, Sam. You you may be a great guy and you may have done other work, but I, the thing that struck me immediately about this movie was I didn't recognize any of the cast until Sigourney Weaver uh, and G- Giovanni Ribisi. And you recognized uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, I, I feel like more you spotted her, and I, and I was like, oh yes, I do know who that is. But I think yeah, you thought she was Boomer from Battlestar. Yeah, well, the, because the first shot you only hear her voice, mm. and it was a it was a wide shot, and I was like, oh, that's hilarious. They cast Boomer as a as a you know as a flight as a Raptor pilot yeah, as a pilot. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So Sam Worthington, uh, obviously some some very comical moments where his australian accent slips slips through it leaks through a lot that you i'm almost shocked they didn't adr them because i don't i don't know i mean it's like they're straight up like there's a few times where he's like and i'll come back and then we'll all throw another shrimp on the barbie mate stand and fight what else has he been in what is his career who is this guy uh he was in terminator salvation okay did you see that one that is the one with Christian Bale? Yes. Who is he in that? 
He is the infiltrator Terminator who hangs out with uh, Moon Bloodgood and then oh saves him at the end. He is very good in that movie. I liked. I love Terminator Salvation. You I, loved it. I, I thought it was okay. It was well. I guess I <laughs> so I've recently I've, I went and saw Terminator Three in the theater. That one was not great, and it was not good. And then I went and then I watched uh, Terminator. Genesis. Genesis on Amazon. Also not good. Absolute garbage. Not good does not even begin to describe how bad Terminator uh, Genesis is. And and I felt so bad for Amelia Clark because she's actually terrific in it. Yeah, she deserves better. The movie around her is awful. So then coming to... But in between them, Terminator Salvation, not amazing, but not terrible. And also not a complete bastardization of the Terminator story. Right. It, It fits... It fits... It slots in really well logically. Well, I mean, I actually have a few quibbles with the story, but I, I feel like it it stands well as being of a piece with the first two films. And it, and they, I mean, it has some terrific stuff, like getting a cameo from Arnold very late in it, and Christian Bale's terrific. And also, I just feel like visually it feels right, whereas the other two you mentioned, uh, Terminator Three and Genesis both have a slightly brighter, more cartoony look to them. Yeah. Whereas Genesis, uh, whereas Salvation feels a little more visually in the right aesthetic. But we're getting off off topic Well, I will say, just another side note, uh, that's McG. Yeah. And I, like, like despised McG for being the the asshole that gave us Charlie's Charlie's Angels Angels. and Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Holy shit. So, watching Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, I caught it on TV while I was in college, and watching that film, I said out loud to nobody, this is what it's like to catch ADD. <laughs> like, I felt like watching the film was giving me the disorder. It was, yeah, it's it's a real, it's a real garbage uh, movie. And the, and it was the, unreal. The second one, the only redeeming part of the first one. That's the one, one I'm talking about, the well, second one. I'm, the first one, the only redeeming part of it is like five minutes where Bill Murray is on screen. Mm. And they did not bring him back for the second. Well, they brought Bernie Mac in, though. He's okay. Yeah, whatever. But I mean, you know, everyone. R.I.P. Yeah. Um, well, I agree with you. I think Sam Worthington. I don't think he was awful, but it's like what you said. He was very replaceable. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I wouldn't say it was a bad performance. Uh, maybe I did, but I would say it was. It was just a C. It was like a. It was just he was there. He hit the beats, and that was it. Yeah. Well. Let's uh, talk a little bit about who could have played this part. I'm very interested to hear this. So Chris Pine auditioned for this role. Wow. He said it was his worst audition ever, so he didn't get the part. That would make another... Wait, Chris Pine is Captain America or Captain Kirk? Chris Evans is Captain America. Chris Pine is Captain Kirk. Wait. But he's part of the amazing no, that's Hollywood I'm Chris's. Saying, but yeah. Chris Pine is Captain Kirk. That would have made two movies where he romances Zoe Saldana. Oh, yes, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> two sci-fi movies. Right. Um, okay. Another one of the amazing Hollywood Chris's also auditioned for this. Pratt? Pratt. That is a little bit weird because... It's pre him being hot. Yeah, because it's, yeah, 2009 Pratt was like... Three, Not action star Pratt. Yeah, it was like ch- chunky Pratt. Exactly. Although, I mean, I imagine they would have buffed him up. You know, they would have hired a, some, you know, incredibly intense 
uh, personal trainer to whip him into shape. Yeah, absolutely. But he was like a no one. I mean, he he must have auditioned. He must have been way down on the audition totem pole for this. He probably, maybe yeah. he probably submitted like. But here's the thing: is that um one. Uh, James Cameron was interested in casting kind of a no-name for this. He didn't want someone Mm. who was too huge. And then two, Sam Worthington also was not a huge actor at the time. In fact, when Sam Worthington was cast in this movie, he was homeless and living in his car. Oh, my God. Right. So he went from that to starring in the biggest film of all time. Okay, but was he, when when you say that, was he just between apartments and, like, sleeping at his girlfriend's, or was he legitimately living in his car? Well, keep in mind that I'm getting this off of Wikipedia, but um, <laughs> so he was living in his car. So some fanboy is... He, he had apparently sold all of his possessions, and that had gotten him $2,000 in the bank. And he was sleeping in his vehicle. Wow. Yeah. So, anyway, that's enough about Sam Worthington. Let's talk about the rest of the cast. In particular, let's talk about Zoe Saldana, because she's awesome in this. Oh, is it not Danya? Damn, I sound I like I actually a... don't know. I've heard it pronounced both ways, and I don't know which one's right. I feel like a fool. Don't, because I could be the fool. But anyway, I don't think this is her best work, not because she's bad, but because uh, this character is a little generic i do like that it paved the way for one of her more interesting sci-fi warrior women who's painted a different color namely gamora but uh i'll tell you what i preferred this to i preferred her performance in this to uh guardians i thought she was terrific you're wrong she's great in guardians well it's i'm not saying she's bad in guardians i'm just saying i liked this character more i why felt very so the one the the one piece of the movie i didn't expect to connect to uh as deeply as i ended up doing ultimately it was the navi uh as a people and as an indigenous people so i thought that she brought a lot of empathy to what could have been you're right it is a pretty generic part but i see yes. what you're saying about the fact that it could have come across as even more bland how she, had she not brought so much to the part absolutely and with the, with the writing of of James Cameron. Yeah, we'll she, talk about the writing. She was a she that means that that was her genuinely. I mean, I have to give her a lot of credit for Yeah, okay. You know what? I think you've actually convinced me on this. But uh not I w- to say that I think it's better than Gamora, but I I am looking at it now through kind of uh, more positive eyes. And um you know, yeah, I think she's I'm glad that uh she was cast and and to uh and uh, yeah, sorry. I'm now. I'm just blathering on. It's with okay. No we thought. can cut it in post. I'm not going to cut anything. Um. So up next, Stephen Lang as Colonel Quaritch. You were uh, right that it was a Stephen. Uh. Yeah. I mean, he was fine. I. I don't know that actor from much. Uh. He filled the role of the stupid asshole that just wants to obviously kill people. Yeah. That's a uh, a prediction of yours that was totally on the money. I. Yeah. I nailed that one. That. That was. Uh. But that was. Pretty... And you laughed the moment he came on screen because it was so <laughs> obvious that that was exactly what you were predicting. I mean, everything from from word go. Everything about this movie was predictable except for perhaps I'm how not, much you liked the Navi. I'm trying to think of uh I expected Sigourney Weaver 
to survive. To survive. And I expected it. I thought actually what the sequence they were doing was it, they, it goes on for like one beat long enough for them all to assume it didn't work and then it works. Yeah. But, and I have to admit, I was a bit let down that they let her go because I guess, but the only reason they did that was to, uh, Make uh, it more special that it works for Jake at the end. Exactly. And heighten your expectation that it might not. Right. And also um, to have her voice inside uh, Awa. Awa, yeah. Right, yeah, because her memories get absorbed. That's a good point. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. You know, also, I just got to say, I don't know Stephen Lang for much either, but, man, he does a good job of playing this character as such a dick. Yeah. Like he is such a fucking asshole. Yeah, I mean he you are like very he's he's, he's coded as so sinister yeah. right from the get go. Yeah. I'm surprised that anyone walking around isn't just like pulling people off to the side and being like, Is this guy for real? Yeah, when like he, when he, he was, seems like a movie villain. When he was mustering the troops and they started cheering, I was like, How come there aren't more people in this room like, yo, this guy has kinda gone uh, you know, completely fucking He's Colonel. having a Colonel Kurtz moment. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, you mentioned her already. Let's talk about Sigourney Weaver. What you think? Oh, she was, uh, yeah, definitely terrific uh, as well. Great, great. Thought she was great. I kind of was confused. I didn't say this in the in the first segment, but I for some reason thought that her presence in this movie was like a deep thing that you didn't know until like the very end. And uh, when so when she showed up in the first five minutes, I was like, hmm, why did I think that? Yeah, I don't know. But um, that who knows? I think maybe someone talked about maybe they were talking about her death or the fact that her character dies. I'm maybe they were talking about Cabin in the Woods and you. uh, Oh, sorry. Spoilers for Cabin in the Woods. She's in Cabin in the Woods for a sec. Yeah. What? Sorry, dude. I don't. Oh wait, she's in the movie Cabin in the Woods. I was, I've yes, I know that. I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about uh, that actual horror movie, uh, Cabin Fever, which I haven't <laughs> seen. Yeah, uh, yeah that's all right. So, is there anyone else in the cast you want to talk about? Uh, Michelle Rodriguez. I I have been on record as saying I like Michelle Rodriguez. I think she's fine in this. I stopped myself from. Uh, it's a bummer when she dies at the end. Oh, that was uh, that was fucking terrible. I honestly think that was a regrettable choice. I don't think that was necessary. Yeah, it would have been cool to have her able to come back for the sequels. Should um, there be sequels? And- all right, so I have to look at this because I didn't actually know. I I did not go on IMDb, and I, I feel like you're looking at it right now. But the actors that actually voiced the Navi or mocapped the CCH Navi, Pounder, baby. Uh, I don't know any of these people um you would recognize cch pounder if you saw a picture of her i'm looking at her now she plays the uh the shaman mom of zoe saldana um seriously bro hold on zooming in oh yes okay i do recognize this this actress giovanni ribisi (laughs) avatar five what we'll talk about that (laughs) Giovanni Ribisi was, uh, you know, perfectly cast and perfectly a dick, and I and I I really hoped I, I one regret is he did not get a true comeuppance. I I wanted him 
to get knocked out of an airplane or something yeah and to be and have to get you know come across the wildlife and get like eaten or something or you know it's like one of those because he was just such a piece of shit yeah i know he really and he wasn't even a piece of shit that had a change of heart like i was hoping his character might um now i realize i'm saying i had some predictions about this movie that didn't come true but i'm glossing over the fact that just about every plot point you could everything every there's no twists this movie just shuffles along the exact plot line you assume it's going to well i guess with that we'll move on to the next part of the discussion which is plot oh um, wait 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 one maybe just before you get before you we completely change yeah. one thing i'd like to say about giovanni rubisi I was very, very, very smugly satisfied that he was our unobtainium explainer, uh, that he was the one who delivered that wink at the audience plot point. And I also loved when he was, like, his speech, like, they don't care about that. They just care about making our quarterly percentage. It was like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, I mean, do you disagree with that? I just, basically what she was telling them was that there was a biological phenomenon the likes of which had not been seen anywhere in the universe, which you'd assume would be more valuable than whatever bullshit unobtainium they could pull from underneath those trees. Are you serious, man? People are willing to rape the natural world for shit like gold and copper and no, like I, under- I understand that they, shale oil. I understand that they are, but what is so frustrating is the data storage system the natural occurring data storage system in this day and age or that future day and age would be more valuable believe it or not than the raw materials they were collecting i think from the point of view of a corporation it's not but we can argue about that as we discuss the plot also did you grab what year it was 2154 yeah as if we're gonna last that long so while we discuss the plot we're also going to talk about the, your predictions and how those worked out. I guess you could say the idea that it matched the plot of Ferngully was correct. Yes. And uh, Unobtainium is discussed, but Josh, you spent a lot of time talking about Unobtainium <laughs> before we watched the movie, and um, I gotta say, I feel like the level of vitriol you had about it is not justified by the importance of unobtainium in the film. That word is used maybe twice, and it is kind of the driving motivation of Giovanni Ribisi, and it's why we're on the planet, but it's sort of not really that important. No, but it is still frustrating. It, It still bothered me. I will say I don't know why I got the impression... I thought that, I will be honest, my thought process was that uh, things played out, I guess in that regard, things played out slightly different than I expected. Uh, he was more there to fact find. I thought he was there to find out the location. Oh, of Jake. The, uh, uh, yes, Jake was there to find out the location of the unobtainium. Uh, which is not exactly they knew where it was they just couldn't easily get to it because these people were living on top of it which is right. which is you know six and one half dozen in the other I guess but it is to me the equivalent of being okay I'm it, this is this is I made a big deal out of it and you're right it was not talked about as much I mean look 
it's a silly word and it kind of takes you out of the movie to hear it spoken and they should have used a different word but you know it's not that not a, not a big deal man no but when you have the t- the millions and millions of dollars to make this movie just take this take the afternoon to just sit under a tree and come up with something better so it's like to me, it's just the idea of if a character walked up into another character in a movie and said, hey, I just need to hand you this MacGuffin for a second. Is that cool? And he's like, yeah, sure. I'll take that MacGuffin from you. Yeah. Well, all right. So the movie opens and we meet Jake. In vo- voiceover. Yeah, there's a, a lot of voiceover and exposition to start this movie. I wrote down uh, in my notes at the start of this film how much the dialogue in particular at the beginning is pretty terrible and it's because basically every single word that comes out of a character's mouth is exposition yeah this is one mistake i i would say cameron made he, he could have not had any of that voiceover in the first two minutes of the movie and we could have just watched what we could have i bet if you took the same opening sequence and pulled the voiceover out of it you would understand i have a feeling that was one of those things where studio executives like you said were nervous about the success of the movie and they were like james james no one understands what's going on. You've been living in this world for over a decade. And so he was like, all right, fine. I'll just go. We'll just add, you know, Jake will, Jake will guide us. Maybe. I mean, during the movie, they do add the device of the uh, video logs, which at least gives you a reason for the voiceover pretty early on. I mean, at the, at the, at the, on his first day, they make him start taking them. Right. Um, also I, I threw down a note. Um, did you notice the music in this film at all? Uh, what is it, John Williams? It's not. It just, there is a recurring motif in the film that uh, it goes kind of like, and it sounds to me a lot like the music from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Interesting. I don't know. It's just something I, I, I noticed it, at the start. I, I definitely jotted down like that the interiors looked great. Him coming out of the pod at the beginning looked amazing. I think that was an argument I was trying to make for either that these are very good digital effects or they're great practical ones. But I definitely thought early on the interiors were way more impressive than anything they showed um, in the exterior shots. That changed eventually, but... Hmm. Interesting. Um, so here's something that really stood out to me now. I guess it would have been something that I noticed at the time, but... Because we're a little bit more removed from that era in our history, it maybe stood out a little bit more to me on this view, but the concerns and themes of this film, apart from those that are stolen from movies like Dances with Wolves, are very of the time that it was made. Specifically, there's a lot of reference to the occupation of Iraq in terms of the the way the soldiers they're not even soldiers really they're former military who are now contractors or even mercenaries Mm -hmm. which was something that was very on people's mind at the time and there's a lot of occupation language used like uh, i think the phrase uh we're gonna win hearts and minds comes up and um you know the 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 diggers the digger that he fights it's a it's basically a drone you know, it's operated oh, yeah, from truth, truth. the building. And, um, you know, everything is coded in such a way as to make you think of 
the American occupation of Iraq, and I mean also the American attack on Native Americans in the West, but, you know, you, you see the way these guys are dressed and the way the military equipment looks. It's interesting how at the end you are basically rooting for the death of American soldiers. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because I don't, I'm not quite sure where this would fall on the MAGA spectrum. And I wondered a few times if during it, I was enjoying it because I was into the liberal themes that were being tossed out, like into the idea that you shouldn't just bulldoze rainforests because you think you could get some unobtainium in your pocket, like that you should be respectful to cultures you don't understand and not aggressive but i i did and i did think that they i mean they there's definitely a parable playing out here that james cameron probably was thought he was really clever with that i i don't i don't think is particularly successful but yeah the idea that just saying we're gonna roll in and take this is the worst possible way to handle that type of situation and I do think that's a lesson that people continuously s- fail continue to, learn. to not understand. So I, I mean, I'm not really sure how effective this movie is that, but uh, yeah, that is, I didn't think, well, that was actually one thing that struck me because they're not military. They are not military. They're private they security, are private military, basically owned by this corporation, right. which is one thing I wrote down about two thirds of the way through the movie. They are investing so much effort to mine this material. It doesn't seem to, that was, that was like, it doesn't make sense. Well, but that, it just goes to show how valuable this, uh, or I'm not going to use the word anymore. Cause it's so silly. How much value there is to this or, and when you think about how much they must be investing, they are investing, all of this, that would be an incredible expenditure on Earth. But this is in outer space yeah, they on have, another planet. They, they must need that shit so badly well, they, to recoup their losses. I, I do I do think that one failure of the direction, because he is the scriptwriter as well, we could have seen more of what the situation was on actual Earth and why it was so dire. I, I think even just a two-minute... Any any kind of glimpse because they kept saying things, bleak things like our planet's dead anyway, and like I mean I don't he, know if we need that man. That's and then obviously the direction it's going. And in. then he ran into someone with a gun just for a little bit of paper in his pocket. It was like, all right, Christ, can we just see like what is going on on Earth? I I you- uh, dude, this movie is already almost three hours. I don't need to have an extra scene showing me about what's going on on Earth when it has nothing to do with anything. They could have definitely found other places to trim to include that. Uh, I don't know. It's it feels very tangential to the story. Well, that that's a difference. That's a difference in directorial. I would have rather seen that than been repeatedly told it. I will. I think that's a show not tell thing for me. Fair enough. You know, I was mentioning how the themes and concerns of it were very of its time, but there is also something to it that's a little prescient, prescient, which is, um, did you notice at the beginning why he's there? Uh, why? Because... He broke his back, and his spine is damaged, hence he's paraplegic, and he cannot... They say the medical technology exists to repair his spine. He can't afford it. He can't afford it, even though he's on... 
he is a veteran and on veteran benefits, he still can't afford it. And that's why he's volunteered for this outlandishly dangerous mission. Yeah. uh, uh, And yeah, that's true. I mean, there is a lot about it that uh, politically still hits, checks the boxes, Uh, healthcare issues, the idea of uh, veterans benefits and the, and the idea of a military, basically a military private driven. Well, in this, but a military-driven thought process that does that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, the idea that it is it is essentially uh, Americans are the only people that deserve any space anywhere. There's there's definitely a lot that you could just you know zero in on. Um, so I wrote down something you said at the beginning, which is when they finally started describing the Avatar program, you laughed and said that is epically stupid. Why? Um, because it, okay, I don't understand. It still, it still baffles me. So they have this indigenous people they're trying to communicate with. Right. And they have scientists who have learned their language. Right. So one serious issue that I had throughout this movie was there have to be other simpler ways to communicate with them. That's not creating a synthetic version of them you can remotely control with your mind to pretend to become them i i guess because here's the other thing when they're in their avatars they're dressed like humans they fly in on a helicopter with other humans i don't understand the point of them doing an avatar based reconnaissance mission where they're acting like humans and doing human stuff how does that ingratiate them to the indigenous people in any way? Now, what ends up happening makes sense, but it's not their initial goal. They're not trying to sneak him in the back door. And they invite Susan. I mean, they've already invited humanity in to build a school. So it's just really basically a paper thin uh, premise. Okay. I can see some of that. I guess if I was trying to justify it, I'd say one, Despite everything you just said, and despite the fact that they other themselves a little bit with their clothing and the way they move about in, you know, human technological uh, vehicles. And that he has a gun. Yeah. um, It is still valuable to present yourself literally with a friendly face. Like, this isn't just a matter of, like, first contact with a native tribe that's never interacted with you before this is an alien species and they might be a little friendlier for the purposes of diplomacy if you look like them it makes you relax you know but her first instinct is to kill him well but you know they've been at each other's throats for a while at that point yeah it also doesn't i don't i don't really quite I just think these are James Cameron's failures as a script writer. Well, maybe. Another reason could be, you know, Pandora, as they keep saying repeatedly at the beginning, is a uniquely hostile environment. And it could be helpful to have the ability to move around in that environment in a body that is evolved to survive in it. Well, obviously, it, it it is it is a in the world of the movie, it's the right move because sure. he has the he can because he has the Navi body, he can 
telekinetically link with other living species. Well, yeah, but it's not just that. I mean, think about just the fact that everything on Pandora is bigger and, you know, the 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 facts of scale matter. So there are things that a Navi can just pick up and walk away with that a human would need some kind of giant auto loader to go get, you know? Sure. The Navi body can breathe. They don't have to take air with them. Okay. Yes. I still think, okay, at the very least, I will come down and say this is, is silly. Fair enough. Um, so, at around this point in the movie, after he's uh, inhabited his avatar and gotten out a little bit, is the first point where it started to seem like maybe we're warming up to the film, which is uh, they go out on the first mission and we start seeing some of the uh, landscape and wildlife of Pandora. And a uh, This Looks Cool came out of you. So it feels like this is around where you started maybe changing your mind a little bit. I wrote down Blue Lemur, Demi Dog. Uh, I liked the, I think that the, you know, intense CGI, uh, creature creations were, were successful. They were cool. They looked good. Creature design was neat. Yeah. I was down with the planet. I, yeah, I was into it. Hmm. All right, cool. Um, and so this is around where we finally meet, uh, Neytiri, who, uh, you know, the funny thing about Neytiri is that she's designed to be hot when it really doesn't make sense. You were talking about how, like, or I think I was talking about how uh, it's cool that there's slightly realistic production design, but uh, Neytiri's sexiness is not that realistic. Um, I guess. I don't know. I mean... She has breasts, and I don't think that that's actually, yeah. like, part of the uh, Navi biology yeah. to be necessary. So, sure, you know, whatever. We also start, even right at the beginning, getting little glimpses into the Navi religion, which is, you mentioned that she almost kills Jake at the beginning, but she's stopped by one of the, like, the forest spirits that lands on her bow. Correct. And here's one of the things that I do like about this film, is the fact that the Navi religion is actually rooted in some logical science. Mm -hmm. They talk about how the entire planet is capable of sending these electrical signals through roots and, you know, other apparatus throughout the planet and even between flora and fauna a little bit. And it creates a situation where the entire planet is, for all intents and purposes, a giant brain. Mm -hmm. So you have a situation where it actually makes scientific sense for there to be a kind of forest spirit. Oh, yeah. You know, and one that is theoretically capable of being so intelligent that it would have the wisdom of a god. The mysticism of uh, of the Navi religion worked for me. I, and I guess that's what I'm connecting to the earlier thread about Giovanni Rabisi is it, it upset me that they didn't realize what uh, miracle they had on their hands. Yeah, although a little bit of that has to go on the shoulders of Sigourney Weaver, who kept explaining it in the most dry technical terms. She kept using all of this kind of academic language when really what she should have said is, the planet is a brain. It can think we might actually be standing on a godlike sentient being that's worth not killing. 
Yeah, although you gotta wonder if they would have if that would have even phased them. Probably not, but I still think it would have hit a little harder than what she was saying. Yeah, that is at the heart of every argument you have. Essentially, is like this is precious for this reason, and it's just about whether people can be bothered to give a shit. Right. I just, you know, again, it comes down to presentation. She presented her case in such a way that it made it very easy for Giovanni Ribisi to laugh her off as just some egghead with very esoteric concerns. Yeah, and I don't know why they acted like that video of Sam Worthington was of Jake was so damning because that video log is like, who knows when he recorded it or what he was saying. Like, I feel like that was something he recorded very early on. It was, but, you know, these were people who were looking for any excuse to act, and so they seized on whatever it was they wanted or needed. Yeah, but again, just in terms of bad communication, it's not even like they dropped down speakers and and played in the Navi language, you all need to evacuate this area, we're blowing up this tree. The first thing was... Well, they sent Jake to tell them. uh, Because he begged them to. True. They were not planning on doing that. Their first plan was to scare them away with gas Gas. cartridges. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense. Like, again, it's not something that you're, you're, how could you expect the people to run away when you haven't explained to them what's fucking happening around them? True. Although I'm willing to bet it's not the first time that a military organization has behaved in a way that's very short-sighted in retrospect. Oh, absolutely. Or a corporation for that matter. Oh yeah. No. And, and uh, I love, I mean, when you'd think that when they've got the bulldozer, they see this Navi person you know trying to get their attention and giovanni rubisi's like i don't know push forward they gotta learn eventually it's like (laughs) yeah he's an asshole man but like that's the thought most thoughtless stupid lazy there's so many problems with that yeah but you know even though it is a little cartoonish i gotta tell you man reed's pretty believable to me and i don't want to uh all right so this is a bit of a tangent we've had many but I just recently had a, an issue with squirrels. Okay. Uh, I worked on an outboor, outdoor production of Antigone, and two days into the process, we had squirrels aggressively trying to build nests all over the set uh, and backstage. And I had to go through this process of figuring out what the hell to do and wh- how to respond to this, because this is a problem and I had to call wildlife experts and I had to call wildlife trappers and they all essentially said, you need to make them uncomfortable. You need to make this this stage area and this lighting rig a place where they do not want to be. And what we had done essentially by putting up tall wooden structures and flying truss in the air and hanging lights that are very hot is given them an, a squirrel Airbnb. Uh, it was a very ideal place for them to build nests. Is this going to tie back to Avatar eventually? Yes. So what I ended up doing was getting a mint water and spraying it all over the set. And mint is a scent that squirrels do not like. And they went away immediately. So, you know, you there's, there's a methodology to working with... Um, native species lower life forms that obviously james cameron is not familiar with because even the scientists were not 
like this would all have been coming from the scientist end of the conversation, not from the military end. Yeah, but there's no guarantee that anyone would have listened to the scientists. I mean, throughout the whole thing, they kept saying that the scientists were basically just a sop for public relations purposes. But they did invest millions of millions of dollars. I mean, those suits they said were were not cheap. I mean, they were obviously helping fund their activities. They weren't on board with it, but Mm. those checks had to clear. Right. Anyway, that's uh, my own personal avatar story. So I, I had to I had to relocate a native species, and I did it without killing any fucking people. And what you're saying is uh, Stephen Lang and Giovanni Ravisi had to find their mint. Yes, exactly. They had to find some some innocuous thing that would actually make the tree uncomfortable as a place for them to be. Now, they chose destruction of it. Yeah. But there's certainly something on the spectrum there that could have... Right. That ties back to one of your predictions, which was that uh, you expected there to be damage to the unknown land. Yes. That certainly was was true. Yes. Oh, and we forgot to mention, too, during our discussion of the cast, uh, sorry, Josh, Christian Slater was not in this movie. I don't know why I thought he was in this movie. Well, you know, Sam Worthington does look a little bit like uh, Christian Slater. I wonder if he, was, if he auditioned for it. Probably not. Would have been too old, I think. Yeah. But anyway, um, we get... Finally, you were just talking about it to the giant home tree, which was really fern gully. Yeah, and uh, I I did notice this time around they sleep in those cool hammocks. Yes, the hammocks were great. That looked pretty cool. Although I had to wonder, how do they have sex? I think the hammock encases around them, and well, they're in a giant jungle. They can have sex wherever they want. Yeah, I guess I just you know, I'm used to associating the sleeping area with where you do it. Well, no comment. You just, uh, you know, it does wrap around, but I, you know, if you're moving around too much, you could always fall out and die. I think that thing. I think that thing is also alive and instinctively st- like stays sealed. I think you could probably flip over in it. Well, hopefully, and uh, we might be jumping ahead a little bit, but because we're on the topic already, your prediction was correct. A man does have sex with an alien. Um, not exactly. Not exactly. A man a in the man body of an alien in has the sex. genetically manufactured body of an alien has sex with an alien. So I wouldn't give myself too big a pat on the back. I was close. Close, but no cigar. This is also jumping ahead, but it feels sort of on the topic. They wind up having sex, and it's during a scene where they're discussing the um, neural link that they're capable of making the bond with the uh, the horse analogs and the uh, you know the flyers, uh-huh. which uh, is kind of like hang gliding, Josh. So you're right about that. There was flying. Um, a lot of people were talking about this at the time, and it's something that immediately occurred to me during the scene. And I'm not saying they had to do it, but it would have been interesting. All of this neural link stuff raises the question of what happens if two equals do it not just as a bond to dominate a you know a domesticated animal yeah but you know it's you're basically linking one central nervous system to another so you would conceivably be able to share thoughts and emotions in the most unfiltered pure way possible yeah we also didn't get to see much of them doing it which uh was a little bit uh well, it was a PG-13 movie. What are you going to do? Right. Um, yeah, so 
moving right along, I guess. I don't know. It's interesting. Also, though, uh, just throwing it out there, if anyone watches uh, the TV show Steven Universe, they get into something kind of similar with the concept of fusion. So, I don't know. Whatever. Just a random note. So here's a here's what my so halfway through the movie I'll tell I'll, I'm gonna say two things okay at an hour and twenty two minutes into the movie I finally conceded yeah this looks good yeah uh, about halfway through I had to give up my CGI uh, hostility hostility I think it wasn't successful throughout but it worked. James Cameron might not be 100% correct that technology wasn't ready to do Avatar, but he certainly got the most out of the technology that existed when he made it. Yeah, I mean, the movie does look gorgeous, particularly, I think, during a scene, speaking of the bonding sequence, when he first bonds with his uh, mini-dragon Mm-hmm. and goes on his first flight. I've mentioned these uh, very first flight sequences tend to be my favorite in movies because, mm-hmm. you know, rightly so, they put a lot of money into that, into making it epic and gorgeous, and that's certainly the case in this movie. I thought it was breathtaking. I was a little bit surprised when they were in peril and the tree was coming down why the dragons didn't swoop in and fly away with them that would have been the most efficient way for them to escape but instead they all just ran well i mean they're not linked with the dragons then dragons don't know what to do well but the drag but then when they are all suiting up for battle the dragons are all kind of instinctively there i i I mean whatever it's just movie logic the goalpost gets moved for whatever you need for that particular scene yeah so we get then shortly thereafter the toruk the uh the the big flyer the dragon flyer and what i love about this scene i remember this sticking out to me from the first time i watched it which is you get a scene where this uh this big dragon like creature attacks them and they're talking about it afterwards and jake's like so what's the deal with the toric and zoe saldana's like oh the toric yeah it's this super powerful aggressive creature on this planet it can actually be ridden by someone. It's really hard, though. It's only happened like five or six times in the entire history of our people. And actually, if you do it, you automatically sort of become our king, not just of our tribe, but of like every tribe on the planet. But anyway, let's go do something else. I'll show you how to shoot a bow and arrow. Yeah. And I'm like, Jesus, I wonder if that's coming back. Yeah. No, they they certainly telegraph that. You know that's going to happen. I will say that when it does come back... I actually kind of think Jake's idea is at least a little bit clever, which is that he figures that because this is a creature that is at the top of the food chain, it would never occur to it to look up because what would ever be stupid enough to attack it? And that's how he surprises it and gets it in the end. I thought that mm-hmm. that actually is something I remembered as being kind of clever. I I wrote down demon in a false body. Oh, I liked I liked that when they decry Jake as a demon in a false body because that's basically what he is. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm with the Navi on this one. Uh, and I thought it was, a, I mean, again, it's all writing. I would not have had him confess. He confesses everything at pretty much absolutely the worst time, too. Right, but I mean... 
you got to tell him what's up, right? Um, it didn't ingratiate him with them any more than he already was. It tur- it immediately turned them against him, and it led to him and Sigourney Weaver being tied up. So he should keep lying to them? I think it would have been a more effective way to defuse the situation, yes. Mm-hmm. Although they knew he was with the Sky People, so it's it's like... How much did he really reveal that they didn't already know? That's what I was thinking. It's more kind of like he confesses all this stuff, and yeah, there's an element of it that's a betrayal, but it's also sort of like, listen, I was on a mission from my people, and I carried it out, and I'm sorry, but, like, I was of this other people. I'm with you now, you know? I mean, it still cuts pretty deep, but there, it makes sense. Yeah, he's, I mean, that's... Argue, they're having the kind of argument where he does have to sort of lay himself out on the line. I just right. would have held that a little closer to the chest for just a little bit longer. I mean, you're right that it is the worst possible moment to be revealing this. He probably should have thought to do that a few days beforehand. Uh, let's see. I've got... Uh, I will say, just coming back to your predici- predictions, Josh... Um, the Avatar program is not entirely what you thought it would be. They're not projecting into space, but they do go into sleep chambers and beep boop themselves into the thing. Yes, but there's no astral projection. They're fi- like, well, yeah, there's, they're physically there's no hologram- inhabiting yeah. it. Yeah, right. And they're on the planet, not doing it from space. Yeah, but small, small thing. You're close. Well, I mean, this movie has existed long enough. It, it what is odd is somehow I I have had more things um, from Seven spoiled. Uh, then from Avatar, uh, obviously Seven's been around longer, but I've had nearly 10 years. Here's what a lot of people said about Avatar when I brought it up. I liked that movie. Why? I don't really remember. I just remember seeing it and liking it. So I do think it is that type of movie that had so, was so successful that people went to see it in droves were not disappointed. They were either got enough action and adventure or they got enough uh, 3D-ness and they left going, yeah, worth the money. But it's not um, it's not a top 10 sci-fi movie. It's well, maybe top 30. Well, okay. I was going to save this for after we were done with the plot, but I guess we can get into it now because you basically just brought it up. What I think is interesting about this movie and why I thought it was a good topic for us to do is it fascinates me that this is the biggest film of all time. Almost everyone has seen it, made over $2 billion. It was a clearly a huge hit. And most everyone who saw it pretty much liked it. And yet, this is a film that has had almost no cultural footprint. This film came and then it went like a breath it it just if you think like people don't talk about this as one of their favorite films no one's cosplaying as a navi the soundtrack isn't on anybody's iphone this just isn't a film that had any kind of impact on the you know the broader cultural landscape and yet it was the biggest movie ever it's such a weird you know dichotomy for this film. I, why? Is it because it had such a generic plot? No one hated this film, really. It just... I don't know. It's weird. It's something that has always stuck out to me is very bizarre about this film. There are sequels to this that James Cameron has been trying to make for almost a decade now, and he keeps trying to make them, and yet no one is clamoring for these sequels. You know, people lose their shit over the possibility of a new Star Wars 
you know, no one wants a new Avatar movie. Well, it doesn't. It's not necessary. I mean, what would I mean? Avatar two would be the cavalry comes to whip the indigenous people into shape, and he has to engineer some sort of like. I I, mean, I just don't know how you could. This story has played out. And it's and it to me it is over. I but I will say your cultural impact thing, it is not over. Don't overlook that at Target you can still buy Avatar toys, you can still buy Navi, like like you can buy action figures from this movie. They still market them and they still sell them. And I have a feeling that this movie has probably found a second life in TV screenings and DVD screenings for kids who are not who are 3 at the time it originally came out and are 12 or 13 now. And so there probably is a inherent success to a sequel because like no one is clamoring for it, but if it existed, people would come out and see it. I'm sure they would, but I just don't think anyone would be excited to. Then again, and I don't know if you were familiar with this, Josh. When this movie came out, there was this phenomenon that was broadly commented upon. I don't know how widespread the actual phenomenon was, but a lot of people were talking about it once they noticed it. There were a lot of people who claimed that they found the imagined world of Pandora to be so beautiful and so amazing that it was making them depressed to have to live in the real world. Ugh. Yeah. I I feel like you have mentioned that to me. I don't or somehow I had, you know, was aware of that, but that is too much. I mean, the movie's really pretty and Pandora is a cool planet. So move to New Zealand where most of it was probably shot. Yeah, Hawaii. I mean, there's exotic places that exist on on this earth. Just go live at them. I mean, look, I was depressed that I couldn't fly around on Picard's Enterprise when I was 13, but I got over it. Um. Well, all right. So, if you really want to hash out the plot of this movie, yeah. So let's get back to the uh, the rest of the plot. Uh, around the point where they destroyed the home tree, I noticed you were kind of getting into the story because you seemed pretty bummed at that moment. Uh, that was devastating. That was the saddest uh, moment of the movie and the most emotionally visceral for me. First, it is very affecting. I was also pretty upset watching that scene. Yeah, I mean, not just because the tree was taken down. Obviously, that was very upsetting. When you, Like you commented, it had been there for tens of thousands of years or hundreds of thousands of years to be wiped out by jackasses sipping their morning coffee. It's so crazy. He's drinking a coffee during that scene. It's kind of funny. And, uh, and then coupled with the fact that it was literally crushing them, it was... It was very, very. It's sad. really upsetting to watch. And it, I maybe it was. I thought it was silly, but like them shooting the arrows at the ships was also made it sad because it was. It's so hopeless. They were so unprepared. Yeah. And you, you, I, I, I will say there's a version of this movie where he's actually prepared that. I thought this is why it's a two-hour and forty-five-minute movie. I assumed that battle would be the end of the... I thought it would be final battle and 
that for the home tree. Yeah. Yeah. No, but there's another battle after that. No, there's nearly another 45 minutes to an hour of movie after that, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. So after that, we get the uh, rebellion of our little ragtag team, which you predicted. Yes. And they get away, although Sigourney Weaver does sadly die. Well, this is what my dad commented. So halfway through the movie, I uh, listeners, I uh, realized I made a mistake and had to call my dad. And on that call, my dad said, you know what I never understood about that movie? Why don't they just kill them when they're in the pods? And I was like, what now? And so he was asking why, rather than put them in prison, why the military guys don't just straight up kill them when they're when they're operating the avatars. Well, they can't just murder people. They are just murdering people. No, they're attacking a tree and driving natives who aren't humans away from a place on the map. They're not deliberately killing other human beings. Well, the moral of the movie is even if they don't think they're doing that, that's what they are doing. I mean, yes, but, you know. Um, I will say during the scene where they try to save Sigourney Weaver... um, it remind the way they're swaying. It reminded me a lot of the Balinese monkey chants from that movie Baraka. Have you ever seen that? I have not. Uh, evidently, you never smoked pot in high school. Then I um, did not. Yeah. So we get to our final battle. Yes. And even though it looks hopeful for a while, you still ultimately get to a situation where you get uh, low tech people charging at machine guns. Oh, so. every time it's either it's either cavalry members charging at a spear wall or low tech people versus guns. There's always got to be some weird, severe ground disadvantage. It's a it's a trope, I'd say at this point. Hmm. Well, we also in you know the movie getting to the low, darkest point, we lose Michelle Rodriguez, which is a huge bummer. And not necessary. I'd forgotten that that happened, and it really made me sad. Yeah, and the fact that she gets spotted and shot down by Colonel piece of shit. It's true. And I gotta say, like, I like that character. It's kind of too bad she can't be in the sequels. Yeah, and uh, I will say this. I didn't understand why, when they charged the machine gunners, why they weren't climbing through the trees. That was a whole... They spent so much time establishing how stealthily this these people can climb through trees. That's a good point. And how silent they are. And they're like, hey, uh, let's just use Western attack methods from World War One. That seems like pretty, pretty fair. Right. But Awa comes to the rescue, and like I said, there is a certain way in which it makes scientific sense because Jake bonded his uh, thoughts with the tree... The tree was bonded with grace. Yeah, uh, Sigourney Weaver was able to inform the planet a little bit of what to expect, but also there's the fact that the planet is connected with all the wildlife as well yes. and has you know, the ability to think to a certain extent, you know? Yes. So I thought that was interesting and cool and well-justified. Sure. <laughs> I also think that there's one spot on this planet where all of their technological advantages, or at least in terms of uh, their ability to see what's coming, get wiped out. And it was sort of foolish of them not to expect the attack to come in that one spot. It's like, okay, this is the place where all of our radar goes down. And no one says, everyone be on extra alert because this is probably where we're getting attacked. You know? Yeah. I also, okay, just another one of those, uh, just another one of those unobtainium type things. When they do show how their their plan to you know blow up the 
central nervous system of the planet, they zoom in, the camera zooms in on a bunch of pallets stacked to the brim with uh, what look like little mini kegs labeled explosive. Yeah. I, it was a huge eye roll from me. I got to label your explosives, bro. Yeah, explosive. We also get a very tropey thing during the fight that sticks out to me every time, which is that um, whenever you get a movie like this, the most prominent native fighter is always killed during the final fight. And going down in some studly hero manner. Yes, in a way that shows off his prowess, but he always does go down. He was like Borm. He was this, he was this movie's Bormer. Right. It, well, and also uh, part and parcel with another movie or, you know, whole slew of movies that this is similar to beyond just Dances with Wolves or Fern Gully. It's got that last samurai thing going on yeah. where you have a native culture, but then a white guy shows up and the white guy participates in this culture and turns out to be the best one of all. Yeah, that's true. He out he out natives the natives. Yes, that's true. Yeah, that's a pretty stealthily bad message. <laughs> yeah, it happens a lot. Uh, and of course, it's a white man and not like a, at least a white woman or something like that. It's pretty much always a dude. Yeah, we finally get to the end of the movie, the final fight against Colonel Asshole. Uh, poor Natiri's big cat dies awfully quickly. She uh, she gets that. Uh, panther creature that she yes. rides and it's immediately killed i yes. thought that was too bad yes and uh oh we never really talked about him but there's the doofy scientist yep his avatar gets killed uh That's yeah so we didn't establish what that means they don't the movie does not establish what that means well i mean it doesn't hurt his body um and he seems psychologically okay but it does kind of like i'm sure it sucks to go through and it means he can never like use it again oh yes that's true um because we did get a shot of him at the end at the very end right, right when he's, were, he's alive but um, they were doing the reverse trail of tears yes going back home uh but natiri does finally kill that jerk and save jake and it's kind of a touching moment when she saves jake at the end because it's also the first time she's ever seen him in his human body yeah it's the first time you know they keep they have this phrase that they keep using as like a native greeting but it's i see you yes and i know it means more than just the physical body it means like i see you for who you truly are but i did like how in that moment they say it to each other because of the first time that she's truly seen yeah him it was touching yeah and you know then we get to the end where Jake is successfully transferred into his avatar body. Very interesting to end with his eyes opening and then it cut, made sense, but it's kind of also weirdly anticlimactic. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I, and I, I mean, I, I had so many questions. I was like, where, where is every, where are they all going? What ships are they using to get off the planet? Well, are the ships they, that came on, bro. Are they, but then it seemed like, it seemed like the Navi had taken over all of the military technology. Well, no, they were just occupying the compound. Gotcha. And kicking them off the planet, I think. Well, they but, got a tree uh, to replant. It's true. But it does show that your last prediction was correct. The good guys win. Thank God. I, I mean, the good guys do usually win, but uh, I don't know if this, if this movie had had a bleak end, I don't think I would have uh, been with it. Yeah. So... That's it for the plot. Let's talk a little bit about how this movie did. Um, the film earned <laughs> over $26 million in its opening day 
and over $77 million over its opening weekend. Interestingly enough, though, even at the time, it was only the second largest December opening ever behind the Will Smith movie I Am Legend. Ugh, that's a bad movie. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And so I I found that kind of interesting. Uh, This was also an interesting note, too. It was the largest domestic opening weekend for a film not based on a franchise. Well, it's what we were touching on earlier. Like, James Cameron is the franchise. True. Very true. Although, this was also kind of a neat point. Some of its early sales may have been hurt by the fact that, and I didn't remember this, there was a huge, terrible blizzard that uh, covered the East Coast. Oh, wow. And may have hurt uh, sales because people couldn't get out to the movies. Yeah. So, this came out around Christmas? 2009, yeah. Yes. I So many side tangent stories about that. Oh, my God. You know what? Now that you mention it, I do remember this blizzard shut down Boston. Even the tea wasn't running. It buried Brooklyn in snow. My street street was unplowed for literally weeks. Yeah. It was impossible to get anywhere. It, It was like... It was like being sent back to the Stone Age I got, for a few days. I got trapped at my mom's house in Cranston, Rhode Island for, th- for three days, and it did not go well. Yeah, wow. I, you know, I, I like wrote this note down and was kind of like, huh, I don't remember that. And then like the moment you pointed it out again, I was like, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. So um, now bear in mind that a lot of this uh, money is driven by the fact that uh, they were charging both for IMAX and for 3D, which puts the ticket price way up. But the movie crossed a billion dollars in 19 days. Damn. And it was the first film ever to earn over $2 billion. Wow. Yeah. Now, adjusted for inflation, the uh, Guinness Book of World Records lists Avatar only behind Gone with the Wind in terms of its worldwide gross. Wow. Not adjusted for the inflation. It is the highest grossing film of all time. Wow. And it... The last film, the film that it beat for that spot, was Titanic, which means James Cameron made back-to-back films that were the biggest film of all time. Wow, so he did nothing between Titanic and this movie? Correct. Wow. Good Lord. Yeah, think about that. I mean, that's like... You're right when you say he is the franchise, right? Yeah, I mean, he's he's like a he's like a hitter on the bench that just like... Yeah, he's like, just pinch hits a home run, you know, a walk-off grand slam every time. Every time. Every every time one is necessary. And it kind of makes you think about the studio, like, not wanting to back his project again after Titanic, and then this happens again. It's like, why would you doubt this guy? Uh, At the very least, he knows how to sell the product once it's in the can. Right. And yet, how is the film as a film? So it's got an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, which means people That's, do like it. Seems fair. That's a B minus. Right. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards. Boo. Including Best Picture and Best Director. Ugh. But it lost to The Hurt Locker and okay. Catherine Bigelow, who directed it, who is, coincidentally, James Cameron's ex-wife. Oh, all right. Well, hey, that's that's great. Yeah. Uh, it did win three Oscars for art direction, cinematography, and, of course, visual effects. Yeah, it's not in the best picture category. That does really not make any sense. No, but if you make that much money, getting at least the nomination seems like something that's going to happen. Sure. And the director is like, well, it's James. We've got to nominate him. Talking about the reviews a little bit. So there were a lot of positive reviews for this film. 
Roger Ebert called the film extraordinary and gave it four stars out of four. He said, Watching Avatar, I felt sort of the same as when I saw Star Wars in 1977. Which, I like Roger Ebert, but I am surprised he gave it that kind of praise because, I mean, Star Wars, like, changed the game forever. Yeah. And Avatar, like, it resulted in a lot of, like, technical achievements and breakthroughs in terms of the craft of film, but it doesn't just, it really doesn't feel like that same level of, like, there's a new era in movie making. Yes, you know? agree. Uh, Kirk Honeycutt of The Hollywood Reporter gave the film a good review saying, the screen is alive with more action and the soundtrack pops with more robust music than any dozen sci-fi shoot-em-ups you can care to mention. Disagree. I disagree strongly, other than the fact that the music to me was similar to something I've heard before, which I think is the con theme from Star Trek II, the music of this, at least, is not very memorable. I already cannot remember what the music was like. Yeah, ridiculous. Richard Corliss of Time wrote that this is the most vivid and convincing creation of a fantasy world ever seen in the history of moving pictures. Uh, wow. I mean, look, it caused people to get suicidal that they couldn't live on Pandora, so... Just get a terrarium, please. (laughs) As I mentioned before, we watched this in 2D. I saw it when it came out in 3D. I thought the 3D on this was very good, and I enjoyed that, and it made the film more immersive and kind of interesting, but I don't know. I I think these reviews are going a little overboard. Let's talk, though, about a few of the negative reviews. Oh, yes. This is my territory. Right. So, Michael Phillips of the Chicago Tribune called Avatar the season's ideological Rorschach blot, which is because there were a lot of ideologically driven negative reviews for this film. In particular, there was a lot of right-wing criticism for the anti-imperialist message that we were talking about. It was perceived to be anti-American because, you know, at the end, you are rooting for the death of what appear to be American soldiers who are behaving in a way that at the time would have been read as consistent with what American soldiers were doing around the world, like in Iraq and Afghanistan, right? Well, sure, but the idea, I mean, it's unfortunate that we even have to have a debate about how the Iraq and, to a lesser extent, Afghanistan invasions were legitimately illegal, legitimately carried out in nefarious circumstances, not sanctioned by the UN. I mean, there was significant problems. We did, as a country, commit illegal acts. We had an administration that did it. And the fact that it was a question, oh, like it's there's a debate about whether that's good or bad, it's like, no, 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 these were clearly bad, and we did them anyway. So... I mean, I, I you know, just don't forget, though, that at the time there were a lot of people on the right who thought that they were good. Oh, yeah. And I'm saying that the, it's it's jackass that even with that perspective, I guess you, we didn't have a ton of perspective in 2009. But even with that perspective of realizing that these were things, these affairs were mistakes. And it's 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 also hard to say. I feel like we're not I'm not giving them enough credit. Like American lives were lost. Iraqi lives were lost. It was a good situation for anybody. We're also glossing over the fact that here we are in 2018 and we are actually still at war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. Maybe at a lower level, but there's still U.S. soldiers in both of those places. Yeah. I mean, it was, and just it's played the both sides because you apparently have to do that now uh, or else you have no point of view. 
Uh, the fact that Iraq then tailspinned into ISIS and ISIL, like, it didn't get better. It didn't go away. And, like, you just brought to light. We're still dealing with it now. Yeah. There was also criticism for the movie promoting what was considered the trendy pantheism that uh, someone like, for example, New York Times columnist Ross Ross Douthit called Hollywood's religion of choice. Oh, I think that's pretty silly. Ross is Ross is terrible. I mean, he he occasionally floats a good column, and most of them are are real garbage. Yeah. Well, look, I don't think that criticizing this movie for promoting a pantheistic religion makes any sense because one get a life and two we've already discussed how it's not even really religion it's science yeah that's 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 stupid yeah now on the flip side there was some criticism on the left for this film because as we discussed it is a movie that indulges in the white savior complex Uh uh-huh you know this uh, white guy arrives and just does it better than anyone ever done it before, and he's the one who saves everybody. The opposite of the Mary Sue. What's the male? What's the male Mary Sue? A Gary Stew. A Gary Stew. Yeah, he's a real Gary Stew. Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's not good. It's problematic. Maybe in a hundred years, this movie will get remade, and they and it will be the same story, except it will be not a white cisgender male who's the savior and that Jesus Christ we do not need a remake of this film even in a hundred years we'll do a practical effects version all directed it'll go great I'll shoot at my backyard if I have to that sounds good um but talking about doing a reboot of this movie the movie also came in for some criticism for being derivative or worse an outright theft of other movies that came before like Dances with Wolves Fern Gully Pocahontas the Last Samurai. We all, all these movies. We all know it's. I I literally refuse to see this movie because of its deriv- derivativeness. Right, but that brings us now to what's kind of the real question driving this entire thing, which is, Josh, what did you think of this movie when all is said and done? Okay, because uh, you, look, you came into this very hostile, and I don't know if I'm correct here, but it felt like as we were watching this movie you were really warming up to it. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and say I on the overall my overall grade for this movie would be a 75 a C. Okay. And that's not to say that I didn't think as I have said many times in this podcast aspects of it were an A, but aspects of it were an F for me. Hmm. And the aspects of it were an F were all things that I to a certain extent expected. They were they were plot based. They were script based. They were things that they were things that when you have the ability like James Cameron does to make a movie that looks this visually good, the script should have the been better. The script should be better. Yeah. And that is, that is unfortunately an unforgive. I really have thought about it since we've watched it and weighing it. I can't overlook that. That being said, a C from me is a pretty decent level of praise. And I like to go around and say that movies are terrible or movies are awful. I would not say that this is a terrible movie. I think it is a fine... I think it is exactly what I described earlier. If you paid to see it, you probably felt like you got your money's worth. Right. And I mean, you're giving it a C, but that's in a case where it sounded like you were expecting an F. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was expecting to be more significantly bothered by the plot. And while I was bothered by it, 
there is this new phenomena with shows like Stranger Things where you sort of appreciate the derivativeness. You appreciate the allusions to other things. And I can't say that there was enough of that working in this to win me over. I'd rather watch Ferngully if given the choice, but I don't think it was the disaster I assumed it would be. Fair, fair. I mean, speaking just for myself, I was not looking forward to this. You know, I'd seen it before and I thought it was fine. I just didn't think it was that good. And so my my thoughts on this film over time became even more negative because I was like, eh, it's, it's so generic and so dull. And, you know, you're talking about Stranger Things, but Stranger Things is, like, designed to be a pastiche. This is more just ripping stuff off. I Yeah, I, I don't know how much James Cameron has publicly defended the movie, but there there is an element where, as you create new work, you have to borrow from the old or you have to uh, pay homage to it. It, it is a factor in this, the work that you're producing. This one is like, like I said earlier, and I don't think I cherry-picked the movies well, but like you said, it's like if you took Ferngully, Dances with Wolves, a little bit of Jurassic Park, and mashed them into one movie, that's what Avatar is, and the Smurfs, I guess, for <laughs> your your blue people. Right. Well, so anyway, so I was a little surprised Partway through this movie, I was really thinking to myself, I'm actually enjoying seeing this again more than I expected. Like, I'm actually really enjoying this. I thought this was going to be like a three-hour slog that I'd have to suffer through, but, you know, it's an enjoyable film. It doesn't necessarily stay with you as something great that you want to hang on to, but when you're watching it, it's fine. It's it's good. Yeah, I'd say, I mean... If, if given the, the option of better late than never, I'd say better late. Honestly, given how uh, anti-Avatar you were coming in, the fact that your ultimate choice is a better late is pretty <laughs> crazy. Well, you can change hearts and minds if you just try a little. If you put a modest amount of effort in, you can change someone's opinion, I suppose. And I think that's what James Cameron was going for all along all right man well it was great having you yeah this is definitely the longest pod to date just to just to double back for one second the academy award nominees for best picture were avatar up precious the blind side district nine up in the air a serious man and education inglorious bastards and the hurt locker I'm not entirely sure I would have put a serious man in this best picture category. Well, Josh, it was great having you. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, sorry, sorry. I'll let you wrap it up. If you'd like to contact the podcast, you can hit us up on our Twitter feed, which is at betterlate underscore pod, and you can hit us up over email at betterlatethanneverpod at gmail.com. All right, catch you later. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A 
hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world.